Automobiles have long been symbols for personal freedom. They took us places where we couldn't otherwise travel. They brought us to our destinations faster, and we didn't need to rely on anyone else to become mobile. And it's this freedom to go anywhere and do anything that made us feel that when we were behind the wheel, we were in complete control of our destiny. But what happens when we lose that control? When someone or something takes that symbol of American individualism and transforms it into a harbinger of death and mayhem. On today's episode of Slums of Film History, we'll look at the films where vehicles get a mind of their own and go on a path of destruction and discuss how these movies subvert and exploit America's love affair with the automobile. So come ride shotgun with us today as we take a joyride in some killer cars. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from evil dolls, to murderous twins, to aborted baby toxic waste monsters. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey Slate, what's up? Hi Tom. How's it going? I'm good, how are you? Oh man, I'm good, I'm good. So before we get going on this episode, I actually have some feedback for little people. Yeah. Yeah, your favorite episode. Yeah. (laughs) A couple things. One from listener Shannon, she brought up Nelson De La Rosa, who was Marlon Brando's sidekick in that Island of Dr. Moreau movie from like 96 or something. so bad. So fucking That's considered one of the worst movies ever. Yeah, yeah. And supposedly there's this really good documentary about it, though, and it's called Lost Souls. But anyway, thanks, Shannon. And then I've got one more from listener Gore Blimey, or at least that's his nickname on Twitter, so Mm -hmm. that's what I'm calling him. No, his real name's not Gore Blimey. (laughs) That's kind of a cool name, though. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm down with that. Anyway, he brought up a movie that I totally missed in my research and it's called The Sinful Dwarf from 1973 Mm -hmm. and it's a Danish horror movie and it looks batshit crazy. Have you seen the trailer? No, I don't think so. Oh, you gotta see the trailer. It's something else. The Sinful Dwarf, a depraved psychotic misfit crazed by the charms of young girls and luring them from the city streets into a hellish snake pit. (laughs) The Sinful Dwarf, a tantalizing bride trapped in a web of terror. Watch out for it. The Sinful Dwarf. Admission restricted. All right, let's get going with the episode. Great. So this episode, Killer Cars, is kind of a similar theme to my Bad Computers episode from earlier this season, Mm -hmm. where we have a piece of technology that's transformed human lives to where we become pretty much dependent on it, only to have it turn on us and seek to destroy us. 
And so the movies I'm going to discuss touch on that fear in various ways. So I'm excited to discuss them, but also uh, just to note, I call this episode Killer Cars, but there's some other homicidal vehicles that pop up in this episode, but it's mostly cars and trucks too, but motor vehicles in general. Also, like most episodes, I'm narrowing my focus and I'm only discussing vehicles that either drive themselves, like they're possessed, drive a mind on their own, or one where you never see the driver, where you could argue that it still has a mind of its own. You know, I think so. I understand what you might be talking about. So Okay, good, good, good. Because you'll notice some of these movies. I'm sure you can already predict some of the ones I'm about to talk mm-hmm. about. Anyway, I'm focusing on those because those are the ones that emphasize that man is no longer in control of his creation. You know, if it's somebody driving a truck, running people over, and I'll use Grindhouse, for example, or I'm using, like, Death Proof, that right, was in sure. Grindhouse, where Kurt Russell's character was in a car, but he was causing mayhem. I'm not talking about where there's an actual driver. Like, the car has a mind of its own. So Got it. I just want to narrow that focus. So to begin, let's talk about a little bit of history here, and I'm actually going to share a little history of automobiles with you in the audience. So in a nutshell, I'm going to go into some firsts here. So with the beginning of automobiles in general, in 1769, the first steam-powered automobile capable of human transportation was built. Steam-powered, not bad. In 1808, the first car powered by an internal combustion engine that was fueled by hydrogen, and that was in 1808. In 1870, the first gasoline-powered combustion engine which was placed on a push cart, was invented. In 1913, the Ford Model T was created by the Ford Motor Company, became the first automobile to be mass-produced on a moving assembly line. And then by 1927, Ford had produced over 15 million Model T automobiles, and of course the rest is history. Automobiles are part of our daily lives. I'm not going to talk too much about the history of that, but I'm going to talk about some firsts and some histories dealing with automobiles, but not necessarily their creation. But what I find interesting and what I'm going to add to this is that once we got this technology, once we had this new technology, what you start seeing are certain phobias and fears that pop up because of it. So I think I mentioned this before in Bad Computers, I'm not sure, but one of the things with industrialization, a fear that came up because of that is called technophobia. Mm-hmm. And that's the fear of advanced technology of complex devices. And that can be attributed to high-tech machinery, to computers, and to automobiles. But to car-specific stuff, there's a number of fears that people have based on automobiles. The first one that I'm going to talk about is motorphobia, and that's the fear of automobiles in general. Also referred to ochophobia, which I don't know why it's called that. But uh, this goes as far as fearing the very idea of vehicles, much less being around them. Then there's mechanophobia. That's the fear of machines. For some, anxiety about vehicles can extend further to most man-made mechanized creations, similar to technophobia. Then there's veophobia, and that's the fear of driving. Being in vehicles might not be terrifying, but controlling one can cause some distress. Then there's amaxophobia, and that's the fear of riding in a car. So even if you're not the one behind the wheel, riding in a car can create paralyzing sense of dread for some people. And then there's, oh, I'm going to fuck this up, dystichophobia, dystichophobia. And that's the fear of accidents. A reason some people don't even like being in a moving car, this phobia is concerned with the possible danger on the road. So, that's everyone, though. I mean, I know, I know. Yep. And then there's hodophobia, the fear of road travel. So some people avoid traveling on the road altogether due to this. So all this stuff kind of came about with the invention of the automobile. Okay. And so since we talk about a lot of fear in this episode, I figured that's a pretty good tie-in. Yep. All right. So since this is killer cars, after all, let's start with the first car fatality on record. And it's fucking weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So supposedly, 42-year-old Mary Ward was the first person to die in a car accident in 1869. So the man of her death was pretty straightforward. She was run over by a car. Mm -hmm. The weird part is that she was run over by a steam-powered car. Remember I mentioned those earlier. They were invented in 1769. 
and it was a car she was riding in. So at the time, you know, I don't get it. Well, let me explain. So at the time, there's hardly any cars on the road, obviously, but she was riding in this car and certainly there was no safety restraints, but she fell out of this car while it was rounding a bend and landed underneath it. And a wheel rolled over her and broke her neck. Oh, boy. What yeah, an embarrassing way to That's kind of fucked up. die is that you ran over your own self with your own car. Yeah, and the car you were just in. Yeah. So it killed her instantly. And it's just fucking, that's weird. Well, at least it happened quick. On that note, let's talk about film. So the first time I could find where someone got run over by a car on film was from an untitled film from 1904 that used what is known as stop substitution to appear to show a man get run over. So they didn't actually get run over, but they used this method to fake it. So what they did is they stopped the camera and substituted fake legs before restarting the camera and filmed it running over these fake legs. Mm -hmm. And then they switched it back or whatever. The way the plot goes is a doctor, the car's driver, replaces the legs and and the injured man walks away or whatever. Right. Yeah. Again, it has no title and no production credits, but it could be from a French filmmaker named George Melius. Melius. Who was credited in pioneering this film technique at that time in the early days of cinema. So it could be his film. I don't know. This information is actually pulled from a book called The Films of Tim Burton Animating Live Action in Contemporary Hollywood, and it's by author Allison McMahon, but she doesn't credit anybody with that. Well, his films were all lost and then they resurfaced again, so that would make sense. Yeah. So, fun fact. But again, this episode is also talking about cars that have a life of their own, right? That do crazy shit. So the first movie I can find that had a car come to life on its own is a movie I discussed earlier in Scourge of the Junkies, and it's called Get Out and Get Under from 1920. And it's a movie starring Harold Lloyd, and it's about that guy who was driving his jalopy and it breaks down, and he's trying to start it, he's doing all this stuff to get it going, and finally he sees this junkie on the side of the road, he steals that guy's cocaine, puts it in his car... Oh, in the gas right. tank. Yeah. And then the car like suddenly comes to life and starts doing all this crazy shit. It starts driving on its own and he jumps in to try to stop it. It starts like running into a crowd of people. So it like goes through a parade and people barely get out of the way. I think it actually hits one or two people. And then it just starts playing chicken with other cars. It starts doing all this crazy dangerous shit. And finally, he's trying to wrestle control over it. And he can't seem to get it. I think he finally gets control over it or whatever. But it's the first time I could ever see a car just kind of come to life. And, of course, endangering people's lives, too. So Because yeah. of blow. Because of cocaine. So let that be a lesson, kids. Don't give your car cocaine. Do not give your car cocaine. The more you know. Mm-hmm. No one's half the battle. Yep. <laughs> So moving on, speaking of car accidents, there's one thing I wanted to to note. So you remember the Little Rascals, Our Gang, you know, Spanky and Mm -hmm. all them? Yeah. So there's actually an episode, I think it's from 1941, and it's the one where Mikey gets run over by a car and gets his leg broken because he's chasing a baseball on the road. Really? Yeah. I I was trying to find the episode. I think you could find it, but not for free, so I didn't didn't want to pay for it. (laughs) But yeah, Little Rascals get their ass run the fuck over. I know. It's good shit. Anyway, I want to move on, and I want to move on to the 50s, because I want to look at that period for a minute, because I think that's the period where we really fell in love as a country, really fell in love with the automobile. Yep. If you look at it, it's a post-war period, so people were coming back, they were moving out to the suburbs, they were getting good jobs, the automobile was getting, you know, it was mass-produced, but it was also getting more affordable, so more people were buying cars and driving cars on the roads. Also, there's sort of a cultural change in the 50s, too, where young people were starting to look to the roads as well, and as a like a means of freedom. For instance, the whole beatnik generation on the road with Jack Kerouac was all about hopping in a car or hitchhiking across country to find yourself, find America, yeah. find who, you, who you're going to be. 
the book was written in 1951, but came out in 1956, and it was all about this disaffected youth. And what's interesting is also in 1956 is when Dwight D. Eisenhower signed the Federal Aid Highway Act, and that's when we really started construction on the interstate highway system. So all this money, all this effort was going to have all these interlocking highways that were going to reach all across the country. It was going to give you know motorist access to places that used to be very hard to get. Mm-hmm. As a result, you know it wasn't just all these disaffected Jack Kerouac type of people. Now you had families going on. Road Road trips. They'd hook up the streamlined trailer and they'd be like, come on, kids, we're going to go see America. And so that was a huge deal to go and hop in the car and drive and go out to all these different areas. As a matter of fact, Skyline Drive out in Blue Ridge Mountains, mm-hmm. that whole thing was like sort of built for road trips, family road trips, yeah. and to be like a big vacation spot for and people hotels. on the road. There used to not be any hotels, right. that, you know, and roadside motels and, you know, motorist lodges and stuff like that only exist because of cars in the 50s. Yeah. And that's sort of extended into the 60s too you had uh, the tv show route 66 from 1960 and that was essentially a kerouac-esque type of road trip tv show where these different episodes you know the guys that were in that show they were driving across country and they'd get in adventures and shit and i think it was fairly popular but you had that america on the road your freedom is tied to your automobile so we we loved our cars then and i think that really set the stage for all these other movies that are going to come out so let's start in the 60s. There isn't a lot in the 60s that deal with killer cars, but there is a, a definitely a, a very important sentient vehicle that came to life in the 60s, and that would be Herbie from oh the boy, movie Herbie. The Love Bug yeah. from 1968. I know you saw these movies. I'm sure uh, a bunch of our audience yeah, saw them we all always had to watch them. They were always <laughs> like... When the Disney Sunday night movie didn't have shit, <laughs> they always played Herbie. Well, there's a shitload of sequels. That's why they, yeah. they played Herbie. Herbie and, Goes Bananas. I remember that one. Yeah, Herbie Goes Bananas. There's Herbie Rides Again. Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. Do you remember that one? No, and but it's very specific. It is. Monte Carlo, okay. I don't, maybe there's a race there. Yeah. I don't know. But for those who don't know, Herbie is a little like VW Beetle and he's alive and he beeps and he wins races and and he's, he's pretty super gay. And it was a fairly popular movie series. And the latest one being Herbie Fully Loaded that came out in, I believe, 2002, something like that, starring Lindsay Lohan. Oh, boy. Before she was coked out. Yeah. Yeah. So the Herbie series was a big deal. And then there's one in particular, a made for television one that I'm going to come back to, but it's also called The Love Bug. It starred Bruce Campbell. And it's a pretty important movie for this episode, but I just want to put that in the back of your mind there. Got it. So the first movie I want to talk about comes from 1971. And I feel like around the 70s is when we really started, I don't say totally losing our love affair with cars, but I think it was starting to get a little cloudy there. A couple things. One, by the 70s, we were having the fuel crisis. I think there was the EPA coming out. I think we were coming under the realization that all these cars in America were not not environmentally friendly polluting the atmosphere. So I think there was kind of a dark side to our love of automobiles and the open road. And the first movie I want to talk about that sort of deals with that is the made-for-television movie Duel from 1971. I was wondering if you were going to bring this up. Yeah, this is a road thriller film. It was written by Richard Matheson based on his own short story, but it was directed by very young Steven Spielberg. First film. His first film. It was a TV movie, technically. but Right. It did have a theatrical release, I think, in Australia or whatever. But yes, it was a TV movie. One of the most popular TV movies that ever came out. And it stars Dennis Weaver, who portrays a terrifying motorist driving a Plymouth Valiant, who is stalked upon a remote and lonely California Canyon road by this unseen driver in this scary-ass, like, dirty semi-truck. Have you seen this movie lately? Yeah, I did. I saw it maybe two years ago. 
You never see the driver the no. whole time. I guess you do technically know that someone is in it. Yeah, I'll it's talk not, about that. Yeah, okay. go ahead. You do. So the plot has Dennis Weaver. His name is David Mann. He's just a middle-aged salesman driving on a business trip, but he encounters his dilapidated gas truck on the highway, and he, the encounter he initially has is pretty innocuous. Yeah, I yep. think he either passes him, the driver passes him, seems like he's kind of a dick, but it's like, okay, the guy's a dick, whatever, and th- that's that, you know, right. and he keeps driving. Only later on, the truck shows up again and starts getting more and more antagonistic to where he's, like, trying to run him off the road and eventually just trying to fucking kill him. Yeah. And it's super, super tense. And he's very isolated because he's out in the desert, you know, and he's by himself and he's trying to tell people, hey, somebody's trying to kill me, but no one can do anything about it. And he doesn't understand why this person's trying to stop him. It's just, and it's never explained. It's There's never explained. There's never any resolution to it other than, are you going to spoiler the ending? So, yeah spoiler although you should still see this movie he manages to trick the truck driver because he runs his car like right into him he jumps out runs his car into the guy the guy can't see the truck driver can't see and then the truck goes over a cliff and crashes you still never see the driver as a person now there are some scenes where you do see the driver his hands changing gears and stuff especially right before he wrecks so you know there's a human in there but it's still an unseen entity and the truck itself pretty much has its own personality so it's really comes across as this unstoppable mechanical force and the you kind of forget there's a driver because the truck has such a menacing presence right that's why they gave steven spielberg jaws right truck big shark right and that they pretty much are the same major theme of a movie of man trying to stop what looks like an unstoppable force yep and what's interesting about all this too is again just a couple of decades before this these roads that were like seen as freedom and endless possibility to the beatniks and the families that were going on these wonderful road adventures now they look very menacing isolating and nothing but a trap that where you can't escape in duel so yep. i think it's a very interesting a good start to this topic where the automobiles that we love so much can turn against us moving on from duel mm-hmm the next vehicle movie I'm going to talk about is Killdozer from 1974. You've never even heard of this. You made this up. I did not make this up. This is a made-for-TV science fiction horror movie adapted from a 1944 novella of the same name. Killdozer? Killdozer. Okay. Which is an amazing title. It's really good. To a pretty shitty movie. Yeah. Yeah, I figured there's a reason why I haven't heard of this. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. But anyway, the plot is these construction workers are building an airstrip on a small Pacific island, and they encounter this ancient non-material life form. I don't think it's alien nature. I think it's like ancient, you know, like some whatever ghost. Who knows? Who gives a fuck? And it lived in the ruins of this ancient temple for like forever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as they're constructing and doing stuff and making this airstrip, they come across this weird glowing thing, whatever, and it infects this bulldozer. Mm-hmm. And then the bulldozer basically goes on a killing rampage mm-hmm. and kills the construction workers one by one. It is not nearly as cool as it sounds. I watched yeah. it. I'll probably put it on the site, but it's pretty, pretty bad. However, At least the title isn't misleading. No, no, it, it is a kill dozer mm-hmm. and it does do that. So the film later gained renewed interest and ultimately cult status when it came up on Beavis and Butthead. They talked about it on their show before they mentioned okay. kill dozer. And then I think Conan O'Brien back in like 09 mentioned something about this movie. Probably because the title's cool. Yeah. And I feel like there's some sort of metal band named Kill Dozer, as there should be. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's something. It's not very good, but it is a vehicle that comes to life. Uh It does exist, and it does work for this episode. Now, fun fact, here's some weird real-life stuff to coincide with Kill Dozer. Okay. There's a guy named Marvin John Hemeyer, and why he's relevant is he was an American welder and an automobile muffler repair shop owner 
who went on a rampage sometime in 2004 with a modified bulldozer. Hmm. Outraged over zoning disputes, he armored up a bulldozer with layers of steel and concrete and used it on June of 2004 to demolish the town hall, the former mayor's house, other buildings all through this place in Granby, Colorado. The rampage ended when the bulldozer came stuck in the basement of a Gamble's store. I guess that's a chain store that he was in the process of destroying. And then he committed suicide because he would be caught by cops. The point I bring that up is that the incident became known as the Killdozer incident. Oh, interesting. So this can be part of my episode on the movies made me do it. Yeah. Did he watch Killdozer or was it just a weird connection? I feel like it's just a weird connection. Somebody just was like, either saw that movie or was relevant or maybe they'd heard of Killdozer and there was like, that guy's driving a Killdozer. And if you see the pictures and I should have brought it up and shown it to you. Yeah, he's driving a fucking huge Killdozer. This is a white person, I take it? Yeah, it's a crazy Mm -hmm. white guy. Right, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. That sounds like a very white person thing to do. Yeah. He's pretty white. Yeah. Now, granted, as far as I know, there was no ancient spirit that took over his body to make him drive this killdozer into a basement of a department store. But he was named after that, so that's good enough. Mm-hmm. It started just after 3 o'clock on yesterday afternoon in the town of Granby. That's about 50 miles northwest of Denver. This is video from Sky 9. It shows where the armored bulldozer ended up stuck inside a warehouse-type building. In all, between 10 and 15 buildings were damaged or destroyed, including the town hall, the library, and the newspaper building. Fortunately, no one was hurt. Kept on backing in and out of different companies, houses, you name it, he was hitting them. Wes Tinoff had the misfortune of getting caught right in front of it. It was one of the most high-tech things I've ever seen. I wasn't expecting to see pretty much a tank driving down the streets of Granby. So, Killdozer is my first movie that dealt with a vehicle possessed by a supernatural entity. But not my last, because my next one is also possessed by a supernatural entity, more specifically Satan, and it is the movie The Car from 1977. Did you ever see this movie? I don't think so. I keep waiting for you to bring up the two that I think you're going to bring up. I will. They're they're coming up. But The Car is an American horror movie, and it stars James Brolin. Oh, really? Yep. Future Thanos' dad. Uh Uh-huh. And he plays a cop. And what happens is this car that comes out of nowhere starts running people over. And, like, it can't be stopped. It can't be hurt. It's an okay flick, actually. I mean, it's not great. It's sort of a little bit like if you combined Satan with Duel and mixed in a lot of Jaws kind mm-hmm. of shit in there. With James Brolin. With James mm-hmm. Brolin, it would be the car. Okay. And so they never specifically say Satan is driving the car. But spoiler, at the end, they make it go off a cliff and then they kind of blow it up too at the same time. I don't know when it lands. And there's a big fireball and you kind of see like a demon in the fireball. So it's that's cool. supposed to suggest that it's yeah. Satan. Evil has visited the earth in many forms. Now it returns as the car. There was no driver in the car. Nowhere to hide. No way to stop the car. What evil force drives the car? And fun fact on that, the late Church of Satan leader, Anton LaVey, was a technical advisor on this film. Uh, Okay, well, there's your evidence. There's your link. Yeah, there's your Satan link. This is also not the first film I've talked about with Anton LaVey being a technical advisor. There was that one movie back in Satanic Panic that had John Travolta, remember? He was in that weird movie where Ernest Borgnine turned into like a fucking goat. Oh, yeah, Ernest Borgnine is a goat. Devil's Reign is Uh what that's called. Yeah, he was a technical advisor on that. So I guess he was busy in the 70s, like giving his professional opinion on these Satan movies. Okay. 
Well, you got to pay the bills somehow. Yeah, that's true. I think the Church of Satan is really bringing in a lot of donations. So. <laughs> I don't think so. There's no mega Church of Satan. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. All right. So let's move on to the 80s, to a period that I think you'll recognize some of these movies, okay? Now, we're going to follow this theme of possessed vehicles into the 80s. The first film I want to talk about is actually an anthology film, and it's called Nightmares from 1983. Did you ever see this? Nope. It's very much like a creep show type of movie. It has a bunch of people you know in it. Emilio Estevez is in it. He'll come Ooh, up again later. I love Emilio. Lance Hendrickson, Veronica Cartwright from Alien, yep. among others. And the movie's made up of four short films based on urban legends. One of them concerns a woman who encounters a killer in the backseat of her car. The other one is about a video game addict. That's the Emilio Estevez one where he basically gets sucked into the video game. He was a kid, though, right? Yeah, he was really young. And so then another one is like about a giant rat in his home. But the one I'm focusing on is the one that Lance Hendrickson in, and he plays a, a fallen priest who's stalked by a pickup truck from hell. It's pretty cool, actually. It's very much like the car, mm-hmm. almost verbatim from the car, but it's a pickup truck. So the story goes, Lance Hendrickson plays this priest. He's serving in a small parish, and he's facing a crisis of faith brought on by the violent death of some young boy or whatever. He soon encounters this black Chevy truck that appears out of nowhere. At first, it drives threateningly and then disappears, but then with subsequent appearances, it forces him off the road, strikes his car, tries to kill him, blah, blah, blah. Finally, to get rid of it, he... Like, throws a fucking vial of holy water on it, and it disappears. <laughs> it's not very good. Mm. But unlike the car where it suggested it driven by Satan, this one's very, very, like, obvious. For one, there's, like, an upside-down crucifix hanging in the rearview mirror. You never see the driver or see anybody driving it, mm-hmm. but it suggested that Satan's driving it. And then at one point, the car basically busts out of the ground to come after him, so it's like a car from hell, hell or whatever. Yeah. All right, now we're going to move on to something that you do know. Christine! <laughs> Is it Christine? Yes. Finally. You've been fucking dying to say that. <laughs> Slate is like... Tom finally hit God. pause on it, took a sip of water, and then as soon as he turned it back on, I just yelled it out. And you were right. Yay, Christine. I got one. Yes, and it came out the same year as Nightmares. Mm-hmm. And this is the horror film directed by John Carpenter, starring Keith Gordon and Harry Dean Stanton, and of course, Kelly Preston. It's based on the Stephen King novel of the same name that was actually out the same year. Like, the book wasn't even finished before they optioned the book huh. and made the movie. So they're both released, like, right after one another. The movie follows the changes in the lives of Arnie Cunningham. He's this nerdy guy and his friends and family and everything when he buys this vintage 1958 Plymouth Fury that's named Christine. Strange things happens and the viewers learn the car's secret. It's possessed by a malign spirit. Out to even the score with anyone who does the car or its owner wrong. And you've seen this, right? I've never seen Christine, even though I was in a real rush to blurt it out. So it's not the best Carpenter movie, but it's not terrible either. And actually, it's on Shudder right now. Oh, really? So you can watch it. Yeah. Okay. It's good. It's actually pretty good. It's not as greatest. It's certainly (laughs) not as worst. But it does a pretty good job with the car being creepy. It's a little bit different than the other ones because Christine also deals with a little bit of obsession mm-hmm. because Arnie, the guy who buys the car, starts getting more and more involved with Christine. It's like Christine's feeding off him and he's being uh, addicted to the car. Does he have a boner for it? Yes. Okay. I mean, he kind of, I think he wants to fuck the car. Yeah, sure. He doesn't actually fuck the car, but he uh-huh. does, he does want deleted to fuck scenes, the car. Maybe, yeah. She is seductive. She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure evil. She is Christine, a 1958 Plymouth Fury, possessed by hell. Her previous owner is not alive to warn her present one. Once she lures you behind the wheel, you will be hers, body and soul. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something? 
that can't possibly be alive. Christine, body by Plymouth, soul by Satan. So if we're going to look for commentary here, unlike the other vehicles that, you know, have a life of their own and will murder somebody or take control from somebody, you know, Christine adds an added layer of being obsessed with your car or material things. And so it's like you're feeding this machine your soul, kind of. And now Christine is also autonomous and run people over and it does seek revenge on its own. And Christine has a cool thing and they do it in the movie where it repairs itself. So it sort of reverses all the damage. Oh, I remember this. And it's really good. It's actually a cool effect. They do it backwards, right? Yeah. So I read how they did it. So like there's scenes where Christine gets all fucked up and she's like in pieces. And so the way that they did it was they had what was actually a plastic frame Mm -hmm. and they sucked it in with vacuum tubes and then played it in reverse but it looked like metal straightening itself out it's right. a cool effect I it's see. actually really so neat. it was plastic okay yeah, that makes yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. for those scenes so it was kind of cool that she would repair herself and do shit and she'd always play old music when she's being menacing I like 50s this. music Maybe i have seen it interestingly enough supposedly there's an actual card that exists that has some christine like curse stuff mm-hmm. to it. I don't know if it's bullshit or not. I'm going to tell the story because I think it's cool and it ties in pretty good, but supposedly there's a real cursed uh, 1964 Dodge 330 limited edition dubbed Golden Eagle and the story goes that it was originally purchased as a police car but was sold to an elderly local man after the car began generating like a creepy reputation. All three officers that drove the car died in bizarre murder suicides and they killed their families. Don't know if it's a coincidence, but I'm just saying supposedly the car is cursed. It's a lot of murder suicides. The car later became the everyday drive around car for the current owner, Wendy Allen, and her family who bought the car. I don't know when they bought it. I didn't get that information, but it would do weird shit supposedly like open its doors while driving driving down the highway, although it never actively killed any of the Allen family. Supposedly, there were some people that vandalized the car from a local church because they heard it was evil and bad shit happened to the people that vandalized the car. Like, they all died in accidents later. And then the last story supposedly happened in 2008 where a kid was dared to merely, like, touch it, and then a couple weeks later, he murdered his whole family and then burned his house to the ground. You know? Mm. Anyway, right now, supposedly the car is in junkyard. Yeah, so I guess it hasn't learned how to heal itself like Christine, but Mm -hmm. there you go. Maybe. I know. (laughs) I don't know. You just don't automatically believe that story? I don't know. You know, I mean, usually I want things like this to exist. I kind of do too, but I don't know. Yeah, it's a little far-fetched. But it's a nice little folklore to go along with this story. So closing out Christine, that movie came out in the midst of when all these other Stephen King properties were being produced. So you had Cujo, of course, mm-hmm. The Shining was popular, and you had Children of the Corn, which was based on one of King's short stories. But right around this time period, a few years later, another one of Stephen King's short stories would be produced, and not only that, it would be directed by the author himself. And Another's that movie uh, is... Maximum Overdrive. So yes, Maximum Overdrive. It's a sci-fi, horror, comedy, whatever Written and directed by Stephen King. The film stars Emilio Estevez again. Yeah. But it also has Yeardley Smith, who's the voice for Lisa Simpsons from The Simpsons. Yeah. The screenplay was inspired by and loosely based on his own short story, Trucks. I think I remember this one. So all the trucks in the world all of a sudden start basically becoming possessed. Yes. And attacking people. Yeah. And this involves a bunch of people at a roadside diner who are trying to hide from the trucks. And the trucks are outside waiting for them, right? Pretty much. Okay, got yeah. it. But there's more to that. So what happens is, yes, the trucks go haywire and start turning on people. But so do all these other machines. So it starts out where there's baseball teams on a baseball diamond, like a Little League team. 
and the coach or one of the parents goes and gets sodas and then the soda machine starts shooting sodas and like kills him because it hits him hits him in the nuts he falls down and hits him in the head and like cracks his skull wait soda well the machine shooting oh, soda cans at him and then oh, soda cans i thought it was just like a what do you call it when the <laughs> like a fucking refill thing at burger king yeah and i was just like soda can't kill you stephen king i get it you have to work with what <laughs> with what's in your brain but a soda yeah. stream cannot kill you Fair got enough. it cans that makes right. sense those could kill you but then a random steamroller comes uh-huh. and runs over a kid that's cool i know it's pretty cool and then a lawnmower chases another kid. So it's all these different machines, but they're inconsistent about it because like cars don't seem to go mm-hmm. out of control, but trucks do and lawnmowers and random shit and an electric knife. It doesn't make sense. Okay. But anyway, so it starts off where all these machines go crazy and then the trucks start going crazy. And one of the trucks that's like the main bad truck, this trucker pulls up to that truck stop where everybody's holding up at. And before his truck goes crazy, it's got this green goblin on the front. It's like a toy truck, but mm-hmm. it's got a green goblin head on the front. I guess to differentiate it that it's evil. I remember the visual from that yeah yeah and that's like the main boss truck mm-hmm. all these trucks start going crazy they start circling the truck stop everyone's stuck in there this group of people after a while the trucks are starting to run out of gas so they make them come and fill up the gas like they're like well we're out of gas here and the way that they found out was actually fairly clever where this truck comes up it's like a military vehicle like with a m60 machine gun on it also being menacing and they start honking in morse code to make them realize that they need fuel whatever let me back up and say this movie's not good but that is an interesting point if we're trying to find a a way to bring this into the theme and that humans are basically serving the machines now to keep them alive Mm -hmm. where the machines are there to serve us but here we are existing to make them run so it's not very good it's kind of crappy Stephen King is not a great director it was his only film right it was his only film and fun fact and he's admitted this is that he was coked the fuck out oh really when he yeah yeah so you could tell i'll play the trailer so you can check it out hi my name is stephen king i've written several motion pictures but i want to tell you about a movie called maximum overdrive which is the first one i've directed wow a lot of people have directed stephen king novels and stories And I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. It was my first picture as a director, and you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. I'm gonna scare the hell out of you, and that's a promise. Maximum Terror. Maximum King. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. There you have it. Wow. There's a lot to say about that. (laughs) I never really liked the narrative that Stephen King was an insane person, you know, that was a murderer or whatever. I always liked the narrative that he was just a normal person that was inventive and good at writing and found a niche. And that kind of plays off the fact that he's like, I'm crazy and I'm a crazy person. Right. he looks cross-eyed, which he's a weird-looking guy anyway, but right, right, yeah. I always like the fact that he was just kind of like some type of evil genius, you know? Right. And that's just like, I'm crazy, and I made a crazy Coke movie, <laughs> which is what it looks like. Yeah, well, he was coked out on that and, yeah. and coked out making the movie, which honestly, having seen the movie, and I watched it when I was a kid, I didn't hate it. 
Didn't yeah. love it. It was pretty coherent for a coked-out first-time director. A lot of shitty stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So, not bad. It certainly isn't scary at all. So, yeah, he did that, not scare the hell out of you, yeah. as he said he was going to in that trailer. But it's fairly entertaining and probably has a little bit of a reassessment. doesn't make it good. It's not good at all. Right. I don't want to give you that impression. But it's definitely not nearly as bad as it could be. And it's certainly not the worst adaptation of his work at all. So, I don't want to say that. But two things. One, so we talked about Satan and other entities possessing other vehicles. So in this movie, although not in the original short story that's based on, they give you a reason why these vehicles are turning on their human masters. Mm-hmm. And it's because Earth passed into this tail of this comet, I guess, when we were, whatever, okay. in our orbit. And behind the comet, somehow it's discovered there was this UFO, and I guess a Soviet missile satellite killed it. They have like a little like story card or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. So I guess it's aliens that turned our trucks against us. Okay. And then I mean, a few days later, they, the UFO got destroyed, so things went back to normal. Okay. I mean, that's somewhat believable. Yeah. So it's a little different. It's not Satan, but, you know, yep. it's UFOs. All right. So, so I believe far, in UFOs more than I believe in Satan, I think. So. I mean, I find that passable. Yeah. All right. So up to this point, we've talked about supernatural control Mm -hmm. over our vehicles. We've talked about now aliens, UFOs. But let me bring you to the new era of sentient cars and talk about AI. Yeah, I figured you were headed in this direction. Yeah. And the first property I want to talk about that dealt with sentient vehicles is the TV show Knight Rider. Knight Rider. Starring 80s heartthrob David Hasselhoff. Did you ever watch this show? No, and I've never thought David Hasselhoff was cute. So I feel like he never somebody did. thought he was a heartthrob back in the 80s, but I don't know. It's just... He just looked like a dad even before dads right. were a thing. He just never did it for me. No, that's fair. I mean, it, it was also a little bit early for me. It was in, what was it, 84? <laughs> no, like 82. I mean, the show, oh, yeah. so the show aired from 82 to 86. But... Yeah, I mean, I was between two and six years old, so, right. so a little bit before my time. Yeah, and by the time you came of age, he was definitely dad age. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Knight Rider aired, like I said, between 82 and 86. The original series, because there's several series of this, followed the adventures of Michael Knight, played by Hasselhoff, as a modern day, as in the 80s modern day, crime fighter who uses a technologically advanced, artificially intelligent 1982 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. I remember the car. Had all these cool gadgets and everything. And basically the stories in Knight Rider are kind of the same types of stories that you would see in most of kids' oriented programming like the A-Team and everything else that was out around that time, which is usually these average citizens or like ethical heads of corporations being bullied by shady people or shady corporations. I feel like that's what these plots were. Mm -hmm. And then Michael Knight, of course, helps them out and helps the average guy and blah, blah, blah. And he did so with this cool-ass car that had all these cool gadgets like Turbo Boost. It was indestructible, and it did all this really cool shit. And the car, of course, had AI. and It talked to him and shit, It talked to him and shit. And the name of the car is KIT, which stands for Knight Industries 2000, Mm because it was an acronym. Like I said, it's virtually indestructible and super high-tech. And it was sort of like Hal, but sassy. If Hal was sassy, Mm -hmm. that would be Kit. Kit always, like, sort of was the foil for Michael Knight. Like, Michael Knight would be all like, I'm a cool action guy. And Kit would be like, you're not that fucking cool, you know? Uh Uh-huh. And also, fun fact, Kit was voiced by Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Oh, Mr. Feeney. Yeah, yeah. He gave me a lot of advice. He did, and he was a talking car at one Uh point. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I bring that up as sort of a first property of an AI vehicle, but I also bring it up because Kit 
had an evil brother named Carr, which stands for Night Automated Roving Robot, and he was the evil prototype before Kit was invented. Okay. So the AI also was in the body of a 1982 Pontiac Fiber Trans Am. They looked the same. But Carr was voiced by Peter Cullen, a.k.a. Optimus Prime. The guy oh, who really? does Optimus Prime mm-hmm. and Eeyore was also the voice of Carr, at least the initial iteration of Carr. Now, Carr didn't really go around murdering people because it is a kid's show after all, but he had some sort of programming issue where he was all about self-preservation. So he did whatever he had to do and was as ruthless as he had to be to preserve you know, his own interests. So Carr was just the evil side of Kit, essentially. That's interesting. Yeah, so... I bet that show is unwatchable today. Oh, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's, it's disastrous. I'm sure it's terrible. Yeah. I loved it as a kid, at least for a little while. I mean, I can think I knew it was hokey even then. Yeah. It was pretty bad. So yeah, like I said, Knight Rider had other iterations. I'm not going to talk about them. It comes back around. Carr's been in other iterations of the show, but the show never really grabbed on to the American consciousness mm-hmm. again like it did in 82. Yeah, yeah. But at least that's a good first example of the AI vehicle. Now, with that being said, I want to move on to the 90s. And on that note, I'd like to talk about well, Herbie again. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but you might like this. So 1997 marked the return of Herbie the Love Bug in the major TV movie The Love Bug, starring Bruce Campbell. He must have been slumming. <sighs> it premiered on ABC as part of the wonderful world of Disney. What year is this? 1997. Oh, God. You're in high school. Yeah. Now, granted, Herbie came back already in a short-lived TV series in 1982 that came back for like five episodes, so it's not even worth noting. But the reason I'm bringing up this 1997 film is that it introduces us to Herbie's evil twin brother. What was his name? Horace the Hate Bug. That makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> The more that I think about this, the more I hate it. <laughs> but that's because when I was a kid, just like every other kid, parents and everyone just try to make you watch the stuff that they watched as kids that they thought was really cool. Right. And even as a kid, I hated all of this crap. I hated Mary Poppins. I yeah. hated all the stuff from the 60s <laughs> that my parents were like, you should watch this. That's for kids. You and didn't I just, love West Side Story, though? Oh, I fucking hated <laughs> West Side Story, as I'm sure I've mentioned to you. Oh, yes, you have. I just, I've always hated children's entertainment anyway, <laughs> but I especially hated stuff from the 60s that my parents tried to convince me was cool. And of course, all I wanted to watch was horror movies and sex thrillers from the mid 90, mid to late 90s. And anything that was an attempt to get me to appreciate some type of children's content from any time before the year that it presently was made me want to die. Wow. So I hate Herbie. Okay. I mean, I never really cared about Herbie either. But then if you hate Herbie, you're going to love this. Okay, great. So Horace the Hate Bug is... I hate that. (laughs) You're going to like him, though. I'm going to tell you why you're going to like him. So I'm not going to go through the whole plot of this stupid-ass movie, but I will say that Herbie had an owner that was a dick to him. He tried to drive Herbie in a race. Herbie refused to win because the guy was mean to him. Mm -hmm. Bruce Campbell gets Herbie. He's nice to Herbie. Herbie wins this race for Bruce Campbell. Mm -hmm. So the previous owner's pissed off. So he goes to the inventor of Herbie. So fun fact, this talks about Herbie's origin story, Mm -hmm. where he was actually invented by a guy named Dr. Gustav Stumpfel shortly after World War II. Hate it. And so the other guy, the bad guy that was pissed off that that Herbie didn't win the race for him, gets this doctor to make another car, and he's like, make it evil for me, or whatever, for whatever reason. So and it became Horace the Hate Bug. 
and he used the same magical quote-unquote ingredients to make it or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so previous owner who now has Horace the hate bug sends one of his goons and Horace to go and kill Herbie. Okay, and like Horace that. kills the fuck out of Herbie. He does? He kills the fuck out of so Herbie. So Herbie's dead at the end. So well, No, he comes back because it's a kid's movie and that's why they all suck. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, you want to see it? You want to see Herbie Does Herbie kill? bleed? He's, I want Herbie to bleed. Well, you'll... Here, I'll show you. Sorry, little car. It's the end of the road. Fix you up. Oh, hang in there, Herb. Hang on, buddy. All right, so Slate just watched the death of Herbie and his funeral. So, what do you think? I mean, it made me happy that Herbie is dead, but this is garbage. Like, first <laughs> off, they cut away. You don't even see Horace the hate bug or whatever kill Herbie. It just cuts. And Her- Herbie is so fucking annoying. He makes the most annoying. He's he like, <laughs> and it's like, that's a horrible sound for a car. I mean, it's pretty bad. Yeah. And he does look like he's dying. And then Bruce Campbell, looking great, by the way, yeah, shows up and acts like his wife of 90 years, like just died in like a car accident. Like, to give him credit. That's good acting because he's got to act like this fucking car and then there's a funeral for herbie of which i just closed the computer because i was like i don't i can't deal with this anymore that's fair i mean it ends right after that anyway the the clip you saw but so they do have a funeral for herbie and then like the original bury him well let me tell you the original owner comes back from the original movies it's the same actor playing the same character and he's like i can tell you how to bring herbie back so they bring herbie back he wins the race the it's end. A fucking car he's yeah, not a then human he gets being passed on to Lindsay lohan in a few years whatever who gives a fuck i hate it i'm sorry i know right. that i know that you thought that me watching herbie die would help but it right. didn't i hate it well if he'd stayed dead i think you would like that. i want to see him die violently and then i don't want there to be a funeral i want everyone to clap at the end <laughs> <laughs> Slate's version of this. <laughs> All right. So before I leave the 90s, I want to talk about one little thing. And it's from a movie called Warrior of the Lost World, which we saw on Mystery Science Theater. Okay. Vaguely. Because there's an armored truck on there called Mega Weapon. And it's this evil truck that I guess the bad guys had that was this computer-controlled truck and that could destroy anything. And so the hero who Joel and the bots thought was fucking annoying, Mega Weapon killed his annoying motorcycle, so they were all, like, rooting for Mega Weapon. That uh-huh. was a running thing on the show. I vaguely remember this. Anyway, they love Mega Weapon. So uh-huh. um, I just wanted to bring up Mega Weapon. Okay. Because I think Mega Weapon's cool. Mega Weapon and Killdozer should have, like, a fucking team-up. Yeah, crossover film. All right, so my last movie I want to talk about is... Car- not be a Herbie movie. It's not, but it's okay. probably just as bad. It's Cars from 2006. Uh-huh. Pixar animated movie that is basically sentient cars that run around. It's essentially Doc Hollywood in the movie Doc Hollywood retold. Really? Yeah, well, it's about this car named Lightning McQueen who is a race car, but he gets waylaid in this like small town after he wrecks himself or messes up his tire or something. What so is Doc stu- Hollywood about? Doc Hollywood's about Michael J. Fox who wrecks his car in a small town and is stuck there until it's repaired. It's the same fucking movie. Oh, wow. I never would have made those parallels. I remember Doc Hollywood. I saw it in the theater. Yeah, same thing. I have a 
also never seen Cars. It's children's shitty. entertainment. I'm not interested right. in it. Right, and it has two sequels, blah, blah, blah. But the reason I bring this up is because since this movie came out, people basically said this is a kid's retelling of what the world would be like after all the machines win and Maximum Overdrive. Oh, okay. All right, okay. <laughs> there's no humans. Uh-huh. There's nothing, even though there's all these machines that came from somewhere and it's a normal planet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is what Maximum Overdrive looks like told as a kid's story after the machines win. Mm-hmm. So, which makes it a better movie, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm not completely opposed to this movie anymore. Yeah. And that's all I really got. So, where does that leave us with Killer Cars? So, one thing is that it's telling that there really isn't that type of movie out now and hasn't been out for a while. I mean, the 70s and 80s is really where this, like, reached its peak, you know, where these vehicles took life because they were possessed by something. Mm-hmm. I mean, Knight Rider had a brief reboot in 2008, 2009, but it was canceled quickly and it was more of nostalgia when they're trying to bring back old shows than anything else. That's all, you know. With all the re- remakes coming out lately, I'm really surprised that we haven't had a nice killer car movie. Or maybe not when you think about it, because for one, America's love of the automobile is pretty much over now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was on its way out in the 70s and 80s, but I think it's definitely over now because now you've got more people relying on services like Uber. You have companies like Tesla who are you know pushing to change the automobile from the gas-guzzling bastion of freedom that's you know symbolizes an extension of oneself into an electric carriage that pretty much drives people on its own. Right. So mm-hmm. so we're pushing to have our control of vehicles taken by something else, which is the car itself. You know, everybody wants that now. So I think with that technology being developed right now, nobody really wants to see that run amok, mm-hmm. which is a shame because I think it's a perfect time to have like crazy killer self-driving cars. And let me draw a parallel here, too, because this weekend, as we record this, the new Child's Play movie comes out. Mm-hmm. And if you notice the difference, the old one used to be a serial killer possessing Chucky. And goes on a killing spree. Voodoo. This one, yep. there's no possession. Basically, it's like the doll has a malfunction. And now it's, mm-hmm. it's like an evil Alexa. It goes evil and starts controlling all your devices. Right. right. So now you have like Chucky's in the cloud or whatever the fuck. So I feel like if there's ever like the inevitable maximum overdrive reboot, it's going to be these AI controlled cars that some AI takes control of all your cars and trucks and turns them against you instead of like an alien or Satan. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's where the fear is now, you know? And it's just weird that all these vehicles, we just, we don't look at it anymore as individualism and as freedom. We look at them as a, a burden, you know? People are talking about, we need electric cars, we need to get away from gasoline. It's like that freedom went too far. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially when you talk about movies that are kind of the death of certain American dreams. So when you look at something that's like Easy Rider or Midnight Cowboy that kind of, you know, went against the the films that came before it and kind of like showed stuff that had never been showed in films before. Right. You know, you start looking at, oh, this whole idea of freedom and and independence, you know, the cars and they're kind of turning that on its ass. But it is funny because, you know, now as we start to look at self-driving cars, my car, I just noticed I've had it for three years and I've always thought there was something that was kind of like weird about it. But if there's a car in front of me, and I'm trying to increase the cruise control, the car won't let me do that because huh. it knows that there's a car a certain distance ahead of me. Yeah. And it's like, that's just the very tip of the iceberg of what cars are going to be able to do. Well, probably, but they already can do, but they're afraid to uh, give it to us all at one time. But yeah, it's funny. It's It seems like that's going to, there's going to be another wave of kind of AI 
overtaking in a, in a different way than it was in like the 80s. Right. But yeah, I think you're right. I think we're going to have another wave of that. Right now, I think you see it in shows like Black Mirror. I think you see it in the new reboot of The Twilight Zone. Right. But you haven't quite seen it in movies. So maybe the new Child's Play reboot is the beginning of that. Yeah, maybe. And I think this car worship thing, we just don't have as much anymore. There's, all, I mean, it's sure there's a niche for that, you know, where the classic cars and things like that. But I, we don't love them as much anymore. So having one turn against you or having that bastion of freedom suddenly be subverted, mm-hmm. whatever the excuse is, because even though like Satan takes over your car or a demon or it's just born bad like Christine, that wasn't really the point. The point is this symbolizes American freedom and now it's Turned bearing down you, on yeah. you, you know, and so we don't love cars like we used to. Yeah. There's just not a, a market for that or it doesn't really touch the same fear as these older movies did. Yeah. So well, everybody wants a new car. Nobody yeah. wants an old car anymore. Right. So, different time. It's funny, you were talking about your car, and, like, I was in mine, you know, and you said you couldn't raise your cruise control. I was looking underneath my dash, and I've got this switch that has evil on it, and I was like, I don't know if I should turn that on. I think we should. You think I should switch my car I to evil? I think so. Go. Yeah. I didn't see you, it in the manual. You, me, and the car can uh, go... <laughs> go on a rampage. Knock off Herbie. All right. Put him in his grave. <laughs> they fucking time, gave a real. car a funeral. They buried that car. They buried that car. Like, that's offensive. <laughs> I like that I'm pissed off Slate with Herbie of all things. That's amazing. Stupid, annoying car with a stupid, annoying voice. (laughs) And they buried him like a human. (laughs) Bruce Campbell looked like he was going to kill himself. Yeah. I mean, he did a great job. And you know, it was a paycheck job. He was like, fuck, I got to do a stupid TV movie. But it's like, you know, I'm still waiting for Army of Darkness to come out. I got to do something, you know, waiting for my next. Army of Darkness came out before Herbie. Oh, yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, it Jesus. Out, Army of Darkness came out in, like, 92. <sighs> Poor Bruce Campbell. He's an American treasure, and look what he had to do. I do love him, and he looked great. He did look he great. He really looked great. He really, really did, and he did a great job. He, that's Oscar-worthy. That's, like, fucking... He should have gotten an Emmy for that. Uh, I think you're pushing it. Well, I'm I mean, not going to give anyone any credit, <laughs> other than he looked great. Okay, it's fair. Fair enough. So, this one's for you, Bruce Campbell. Anything else? Killer cars, y'all? I'm good. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, Bye. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter where we share a lot of additional content. And if you like the show or have any comments or suggestions, please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. car basically busts out of the ground to come after him so it's like a car from hell or whatever so it's like meat loves bat out of hell but it's car out of hell right yeah like a truck out of hell i'm gone in the morning <laughs> wow i took a lot of cold medicine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wow that, that nyquil is really doing something Oof. to you jesus christ